Thank you all. Good job. We were back in the uh, area when Steve came in right before the service with a panicked look on his face, and he said, uh, the, the computers are down, the screens are not working, I don't know what we're going to do. I said, that's the reason I carry this book. It's still up. So I'm scared to death, of, and I know that a lot of y'all use the uh, the phones and you have your Bible on there, and that's wonderful. I'm glad that you do, but I'm scared I'd be up here preaching, and it would go down on me, and then I would be left with uh, nothing to say. So I always carry, I always carry the book. Well, today we're going to continue our series from the basic doctrines that we as Christians hold. We have looked at the Bible, at God, Satan, the nature of man, salvation, security, so forth. So for the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at eternity, what happens to us after we die. I'm sure that you have heard the inscription on a tombstone somewhere that says, Consider, young man, as you walk by, as you are now, so once was I. As I am now, you soon shall be, so prepare, young man, to follow me. We know the seriousness of the intent there, but apparently someone came by and scrawled beneath it, to follow you is not my intent until I know which way you went. (laughs) Death is not the end. So what happens to us when we die? And there are various ideas as to what happens when we die. There is universalism. Universalism is the belief that everyone goes to heaven, that there is no hell. There was a chaplain assigned to a new post in the army, and as he met with some of the soldiers, they began to talk about theology, and one of them asked him, do you believe in a literal hell? And he said, no, I do not. And the young man said, well, then you should resign at once. He said, why should I resign? He said, because if there is no hell, we don't need you, and if there is, we don't want you to lead us astray. Dr. John Newport wrote, 60% of writing theologians are universalists. Now, that's a little astounding to me that 60% of writing theologians are universalists. So that would explain why there are so many who believe there is no hell and that everyone goes to heaven. There is another idea, and that's annihilationism, and that is that this life is all there is. There is nothing beyond this life. When we die, it is all over. There is nothing else. There's a third group who believe that the righteous go to heaven because that seems to be right, that seems to make sense. So a righteous person then goes to heaven, and the evil person is eradicated. They are simply no longer in existence. They don't exist anymore. What does the Bible say? Take your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 16, a familiar parable. Luke chapter 16, verse number 19. Now, there was a certain rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores. And longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. 
And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your life you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus bad things. But now he is being comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able, and that none may cross over from there to us. And he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. But he said, No, Father Abraham. But if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded if someone comes from the dead. We begin with the reality of hell. And I say the reality of hell because that is what the Bible teaches There in verse 22 it says that the poor man died, carried away to Abram's bosom, and the rich man died, was buried, and in Hades he lifted up his eyes. The reality of hell. C.S. Lewis was walking through a cemetery. He saw a tombstone marked with the words, Here lies an atheist, all dressed up and no place to go. Lewis quipped, I bet he wishes that were so. Hell is a reality according to the Word of God, but why does it exist? What is the reason for hell? Well, it is the place of punishment for those who rebelled against God. Now, originally, the Bible tells us the first to rebel against God was Lucifer, and the Scripture says that hell then was prepared for him. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. So, I want you to understand that hell was not created for you. The Bible says that hell was created for Lucifer and his angels. But what happened is that we joined in his rebellion. Lucifer wanted to be God. He wanted to be God of his own life. Therefore, he rebelled against the authority of God. And then man has also sinned against God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So as a result then of us joining in rebellion, not wanting God to be involved in my life, wanting to live my life on my own terms as a result of that rebellion, then we share the same destiny. Why does it exist? Because of the rebellion. Why? Because of God's love. You say, well, that that sounds a little like a paradox, but what happened is that God created us, but he does not force us to love him. My friend, you are not a robot who is programmed to love God. So God then has given us free will. But with the free will comes consequences. God created you with free will. You do not have to love God. 
You have a free will, but your decision brings about consequences. For instance, you can commit your life to loving God, obeying God, and then there are the consequences of that decision. In Isaiah chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey, you will eat the best of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. So according to the scripture, God has created you with free will. Therefore, you are able to choose to commit your life to him, to love him, to be obedient to him. Now, that was a commitment that I have made. I have committed my life to loving the Lord, being obedient to the Lord. That is a commitment that I've made. That is a commitment that my wife has made, my daughter, my son, my grandchildren have made. And I'm assuming that most of you have made that as well. But you see, we can also choose to reject God. We can choose to reject Him, to reject His will, to reject His love. But there are consequences to that as well. There are a number of people through the years that I have prayed for and I have witnessed to that I I wanted them to become followers of Christ and some of them accepted Jesus, some of them did not. It still haunts me somewhat. In the first little church that I pastored, there was a young man named Jim. He used to come down and we would play ping pong and talk and I'd witness to Jim because Jim was in a rather wild crowd and, and I talked to him about the Lord and so forth and And one day when he was there, and I've told you this before, but one day when he was there, I took out a piece of paper and I just drew a line right down the middle of it. I said, Jim, why don't you tell me all the reasons you ought to give your heart to Christ, that you ought to become a believer? And over here, let's write down all the reasons you ought not. He looked at me and smiled. He says, you know there's no reason that I ought not. I said, I can't think of any, but why don't you commit your life to Christ? And he said, no, not right now. I'm I'm not going to do it right now. It was on the next Sunday, that was during the week, on the next Sunday, I read in the newspaper that Jim and some of his friends had been out, they'd been drinking and so forth, and uh, in a car wreck and died. As far as I know, Jim never trusted the Lord, but you can do that, see. God has created you that you have the freedom to choose. You can choose God or you can choose to reject God, but there are consequences to it. But what I do want you to understand that there is a reality of hell. It does exist according to the Bible. So God does not send someone to hell. We choose if we go there. It is a choice that we make the consequence of our choice. The Bible tells us that hell is a place of suffering. There are two words in the Bible translated hell. The first is Gehenna. And it is two Greek words which it means valley and sorrow. The valley of sorrow. Gehenna is a, a valley of just immediately to the south of the old city of Jerusalem. It was the place where garbage and dead animals were burned. That is Gehenna. There is another word. It is Hades. And Vine says Hades is the region of departed spirits of the lost, but including the blessed dead in periods preceding the ascension of Christ. So the Bible tells us, The Bible says that the man looked up from Hades and cried out to Father Abraham. The scripture tells us that it is a place of physical suffering. Now, I'm not going to answer all your questions about hell. What is it? But I'll tell you what 
the Bible says. It says that it is a place of physical suffering. It mentions torment there in verse 23. And in Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment. And that means ongoing pain, being in torment, ongoing pain. The Bible says that, that it is a place of destruction. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 13, the way is broad that leads to destruction. So he said there are two ways. There's a narrow way that leads to life. There's a broad way that leads to destruction, that hell is a place of destruction. The Bible says that it is a place of outer darkness, Matthew 8, 12. The sons of the kingdom shall be cast out into the outer darkness. It is referred to as a furnace of fire, Matthew 13, 42, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. It is described as a lake of fire in Revelation 20, verse 15. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the Bible says that hell then is a place of torment. It is a place of agony. You'll notice there in verse number 24, he says, For I am in agony in this flame. And Vine says that denotes severe emotional strain and anguish. So it's a, it's a place of physical suffering. It is a place of relational suffering, I think. When I was younger, I'd be around my friends sometime. Where are you going? I'm going to hell to see my friends. It's going to be a party there. You know, I'm probably, you've probably heard something similar to that. Hell is going to be a party. It's a place where everybody goes and it's going to be a big party. Folks, it is not. It's not going to be a party. You'll notice in verse number 28, For I have five brothers that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Do you, do you understand that those people who are in hell do not want you there? Because it's a place of suffering. It's a place of torment. And they do not want you there. there there's the warning. It's a place of loneliness. C.S. Lewis wrote, Hell is nothing but yourself for all eternity. It isn't a party. It is a place of loneliness. Ted Turner was giving a speech at the National Press Club. He said, heaven is going to be a mighty, slender place. And most of the people I know in life aren't going to be there. There are a few notable exceptions, and I'll miss them. Remember, heaven is going to be perfect. And I don't really want to be there. Those of us that go to hell, which will be most of us in this room, most journalists are certainly going there, but when we get to hell, we'll have a chance to make things better because hell is supposed to be a mess and heaven is perfect. Who wants to go to a place that's perfect? Boring, boring, and his audience all laugh. Folks, let me tell you something. Hell is a place of loneliness. It isn't a party atmosphere. And you talk about boring being only with myself throughout all eternity, that would be boring. It is a place of emotional suffering, eternal sadness. I, I have, you know, you th I suppose we all do think about the, the suffering of hell. And, and to me, one of the greatest punishments, I think, of hell is an eternal memory. There will be no Alzheimer's in hell but eternally remembering. 
Remember, every worship service you've attended, can you imagine this throughout eternity? If you were to go to hell throughout all eternity, you remember every worship service. The message that was preached. The invitation that was extended. The Holy Spirit dealing with your heart, drawing you to Jesus. And yet you not responding to that and then through all of eternity thinking, oh, had I only responded when the Holy Spirit drew me. See, I, I think that is something that is unfathomable to me, that I would be in eternity remembering every worship service, remembering every witness that was made to me. Every person who loved me enough, who cared enough, whether it was a mother, a dad, a grandparent, a friend, someone at school, whoever it was, but they came to me and spoke to me about my spiritual condition and I rejected the Lord and now in hell I remember that throughout all eternity. I'd only responded. Remembering every prayer that has been prayed on my behalf. So hell then is going to be a place of eternal regret, memory. You know, sometimes we buy something and have what is called buyer's remorse. I bought this, wish I had not. I think in hell there's going to be invitation remorse. There's going to be throughout all of eternity remembering a worship service where I was, a witness that was given to me, some circumstance when I had the opportunity to give my life to Christ and yet did not. And so here I am throughout all of eternity. It is a place of spiritual suffering. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says, And these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. You see, the Bible tells us that, that hell is a place from which there is no escape. In verse number 26 and besides all this, between us and you, there is a great chasm fixed in order that those who wish to come over from here to you may not be able and that none may cross over from there to us. No escape. I know that the Catholic religion teaches that there is purgatory, but purgatory is not a part of Scripture. The idea of purgatory was created about 800 years ago during the Middle Ages. So there is no escape. The Bible says that in hell there is no rest. And Jesus said that, uh, Jesus has promised us rest. He said, come, all, come unto me all ye who are burdened, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's the promise of the Lord. I will give you rest. But the Bible says in hell there is no rest in Revelation 14 and 11. And they have no rest day and night. So hell then is a place where there is no rest. I, I don't know how all this plays out. I don't know what all of it means. But the Bible says that it is a place where there is no rest. The Scripture tells us that it is a place where there is no hope. There, it, it is a hopeless place. Because hope is only in Christ. Paul wrote, Christ in you, the hope of glory. You see, ladies and gentlemen... Hope is in Jesus Christ, but in hell there is no hope. It is a place where there is no rest, there is no hope, there is no light. Matthew twenty-two thirteen cast him into the outer darkness. It is a place of darkness, a place where there is no light. 
My guess is most of you are familiar with the old Hank Williams song, I Saw the Light. He wrote that song, I Saw the Light. Minnie Pearl was a Christian. I had the opportunity of doing a show with her once. She's a wonderful Christian lady. But when she heard the song, because she cared about Hank Williams, she thought maybe he had gotten saved. And so when she saw him, she said, Oh, Hank, did you see the light? And he said, Minnie, there ain't no light. My friend, apart from Jesus Christ, there is no light. And the Bible says in hell that there is no light. There are no prayers answered there. You'll notice in verse number 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house. He is pleading for his brothers in verse number 29. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Prayers are not answered in hell. We have the opportunity to pray now. We have the privilege of coming before the throne of grace now and praying. But in hell, the prayers are not answered. So there is the suffering of hell, according to the Scripture, physical suffering. There is the the relational suffering, the emotional suffering, the spiritual suffering. Well, then how do we avoid hell? Vice President Calvin Coolidge was presiding over the Senate on one occasion. And they were having a debate back and forth, and one senator who was in an argument with another senator said to him, go straight to hell. Well, the senator was offended by that. He appealed to the vice president. The vice president was at his desk, and he was thumbing through a book, and he looked up from that booklet, and he said, I've looked through the rule book. You don't have to go. No one wants to go to hell, but how do we avoid it? There's nobody wants. Can you imagine being in hell throughout all of eternity and the suffering that goes with it? The loneliness that goes with it? The darkness that goes with it? No one wants to go to hell, so how do we avoid it? Well, first of all, we don't listen to the lies of Satan. And Satan will tell you that hell does not exist. USA Today had an article sometime back that said 67% of Americans believe in the existence of hell, which means 33% do not. And so Satan will whisper in your ear, and especially whenever you have 60% of writing theologians who are universalists telling us that there is no such place as hell, well, either those theologians or the Bible is wrong. I'm going to stick with the Bible. That is a lie from Satan, that there is no hell, that it does not exist. The Bible says that it does. Satan will lie to you and say that your choice is unimportant. You don't need need to make a decision about that. But you know what I've noted about Satan? He, he, He buys our lives a day at a time. Now listen carefully. Satan would never come to you and say, I want you to give me the next year, next five years, next ten years of your life. After that, you can become a follower of Christ. He would never do that. Why? Because you wouldn't agree to that. I might be dead in a year. I might be dead in five years. I might be dead in ten years. Then it would be too late. So he never comes with a large block of time. Instead, what he does is whisper in your ear and says, not today. Not today. Oh, the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart, drawing you to Christ. 
that you might be forgiven and saved and all of that? Saints, well, that's a good idea, but not today. Not during this service. Do it at another time. And so he buys our eternity a day at a time. He lies to us. Satan will tell you that, that it's not all that bad. After all, he talks about flames and fire and lake of fire and all that stuff. That's all symbolic. Not that bad. Well, if it is symbolic, it, is, it symbolizes something that's worse. He lies. So I would encourage you to listen to the truth of Jesus, of God's Word, who says that, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, that we all are sinners. The, the rich man, I don't think, it doesn't say anything in here about him being a bad man. He just ignored God. Admit that we are sinners, repent of our sin, and put our trust in Jesus Christ. Now let me conclude. Erwin Lutzer wrote, One Minute After You Die. He wrote, one minute after you slip behind the parted curtain, you will either be enjoying a personal welcome from Christ or catching your first glimpse of gloom as you have never known it. What happens one minute after you die? Well, your circumstances are changed. I look at the rich man. He was prosperous while he was on earth. He was wealthy. And everything now has changed. Linda and I have talked several times about a, a couple in our community, somewhat prominent to our community, but they died not far apart. The husband died, then the wife died not far apart. It was after that, almost uh, within a very brief time, I saw an ad in the newspaper advertising an estate sale that they had traveled the world and they had all of these articles from around the world and you can come and buy them. And I thought, my goodness, how quickly things change. Those things that you work so hard for, those things you believe to be so important that I do, one minute after we die, they are meaningless. But then Lazarus' suffering ended. One minute after he died, his suffering ended. It was over. Eternity then begins. Chuck Swindoll wrote, When people die, only their bodies go into the grave. At the funeral, it is merely the physical shell we see lying in the casket. The real person, the soul spirit, has already departed to either a place of torment or a place of comfort depending on the person's spiritual condition. One minute after we die, my dear friend, you're going to be in heaven or you're going to be in hell. I look at the rich man in verse number 23. It says, and in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. I look at Lazarus in verse 25, but Abraham said, child, remember that during your life you receive your good things and likewise Lazarus bad things, but now he is being comforted here and you are in agony. One minute after you die, our circumstances change. No matter how much wealth you might have accumulated, no matter how much prestige you might have earned, no matter how much suffering you have endured, one minute after we die, it's all changed. 
And we are either in heaven or we are in hell. The rich man, over 2,000 years later, he's still in hell. I mentioned to begin, uh, I referred to this as a parable. Actually, I don't think it is. Because Jesus used a name. And in parables, he did not use names. 2,000 years later, Lazarus is still in heaven. Your choice in this life will determine your destiny in eternity. And my friend, if the Holy Spirit is pleading with you today, inviting you to commit your life to Christ, I pray that you will. Because it could be if you do not, that you'll spend all eternity regretting that decision. Our gracious Father, I pray that you would speak to the hearts of people. Lord, I do not know who is saved and who is not. You do. And for those who really don't know the Lord, I pray that today they might be saved. Holy Spirit, draw them to Jesus so that we will celebrate throughout all of eternity your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir will sing. We extend an invitation for you to make your choice. God gives you that opportunity to make your choice. What will you do? Who will you listen to? Stand with me, please, as we stand together. They sing, you come, I'll greet you as you do.